Wealth from the Sermon Series 2020, Discerning God's Will in the New Decade, spoken by Pastor Dan Bailey. Today we're continuing our series, uh, 2020, Discerning God's Will for the Next Decade. I know some of you are looking at me saying, I don't even know what I'm going to have for lunch today, let alone the next decade. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what I'm having for lunch either, uh, although there is lunch after this service upstairs, so I might have to check that out. Um, but scripture says in Ephesians that we are his workmanship and that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, that we would walk in those good works. So clearly God sees the end from the beginning. And so it's real important that we discern what it is. What are these good works? What is it that God sees for me? Because if it's true, he's good, and that in him there is life, an abundant life, then that's an important question to ask. Um, so I hope today that you'll engage. I, I don't know if you're like me. Uh, I'd prefer just an app, that God would drop down an app in my phone and just give me the blueprint for the next 10 years and just follow step by step. But as P Pastor Peter um, preached on last week about amazing faith, this is a faith journey. And that God wants our trust. He's always after our hearts to believe that he is good and trustworthy and wise and able and powerful. And although it's hard, it's an adventure. And God is always pleased with faith. Nothing will challenge our faith quite like finances, though. And so that always conjures up a little bit of different kinds of emotion depending on your financial position or what's going on. All of us have a little bit of holiday exhaustion. And if you were given a list of 50 topics, I betting the, on that finance wouldn't be in their top 50. Uh, but here we are. And it's not that God wants to shake the tree. He wants to give us life. He's the giver of every good gift. And he doesn't want any, anything to rob us of the best. So I hope that you will look at this as an opportunity to really get the lens of God, to get his perspective on what it means to be truly rich in life. And as we'll see, it's a little bit different than how it's defined here in our world and society and culture. So I wanna invite you just to lay aside any uh, angst or any suspicions or uh, just anything that might conflict. And let's ask God to reveal to us together his will as we go forward, as it relates to our lives. And this is certainly more than finance. You could apply everything we're talking about today beyond finance. But the point is we can't separate finance from our discipleship either. And, and God wants to richly reward us in this journey of faith, including how we look and treat money in our lives. So let's pray together, ask God's blessing. Father, all of us have fallen short. Uh, we're challenged every day. Some of us are trying to make ends meet, so this is already uh, a difficult one. And uh, some feel like maybe in the world they're, they're the fool for giving to the things of God, and others are just trying to figure out where anything else will come from. But Lord, we just recognize you as the giver of all good gifts, that you are a God full of grace, full of mercy, we cancel any assignment of condemnation because in Christ Jesus, therefore, there is no condemnation. And Lord, we just accept the embrace of, of a good father today and will you lead us, Lord, 
uh, into your truth and help us to see through the eyes of you, our Heavenly Father, so that we could become rich towards you, prosperous, and ultimately, Lord, enjoy the fruit of all that we sow in life for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of decades, in the decade of the 90s, I was a basketball coach and and, uh, athletic director at a college, and then many of you know that, and then I had a decade in business uh, as a private jet business with some partners, and that was a whole nother journey in the last decade was sort of restorative, transformative in many, many ways as God was uh, bringing me back to uh, really the the calling in my life. At the same time, I was working in higher education and getting all kinds of ministry preparation. Now I'm here with you looking forward at this next decade and asking God, where where do we go from here? But I'm doing so with anticipation. But in the 90s, I had just come out of seminary 1990, I became the athletic director and head basketball coach at Nyack College. And because I came out of seminary and it was in my heart, I wanted sports to be a platform for God. I didn't just want to win games, although I really wanted to win games too. Uh, And often felt myself in conflict with those forces. But uh, I decided to run, I proposed to the administration that we'd run a basketball summer camp called Hoops for Him. That's pretty clever. You can let say so. Uh, I thought hooping on the Hudson, I was trying to go all those, you know, somebody said hoops for him. And I'm like, I didn't think of it myself. Somebody always does it. And so I proposed to the school, to the administration, this camp, which required some seed money. Now, a Christian liberal arts small college, that's a big ask because uh, money is scarce in the summertime, particularly if there's not a lot of endowments. But I promised them that I wouldn't lose money in my first year. And on that promise and uh, a lot of courage, they gave me the seed money I asked for. But as soon as I got the okay and started making my arrangements, on one ordinary day walking to my office, I heard this word from the Lord. You know how the Lord just impresses something on your heart that you can't quite escape? And the words were, were these, don't turn anyone away for lack of funds. I said, I just ate something, that, that, ain't, that ain't God. You know how you try to put it, push it back down. And everybody I ran into that day had a testimony about God's generosity or a commercial would make me cry, uh, whatever it was. And then later that day, I got a phone call from a lady who wanted to register her son for the camp. And this was one of our first inquiries, so I was pretty excited. And if you've ever had a conversation with a grandmother who loves Jesus and her grandkids, you're going to be in for a long conversation. And... She just was so endearing and full of passion, and she won my heart, you know. But at the end of the conversation, she paused and said, but Coach Bailey, I can't afford it. I'm on Social Security, but I know my son, he loves basketball, he'll come. And and I'm hoping that would be a gateway for him to experience Jesus, because it was a camp where we were hoping, overnight camp, big undertaking, if you know anything about all that and the Board of Health and all the things that go into that, um, where our players would share their faith. And while we trained them in basketball, and she knew this was the hook, you know, basketball, he'll say yes. I knew what I had to do. I mean, it was just abundantly clear. And I said, which became my mantra every time this question came up about finances. Well, we don't turn anyone away for lack of funds. What can you pay? And she and I made an agreement. And this was like a parade that started after this. I never advertised scholarships or discounts. It wasn't in the brochure. It wasn't in our sales pitch. 
But the Lord tapped everyone on the shoulder in the metro area that had financial need. And they all called Coach Bailey at Nyack College and asked. And every night I'd go home, challenged every day saying, we don't turn anyone away for lack of funds. What can you pay? And then go home at night, get on my knees, and pray to God that I have a job when the fall came back around. Then one day, right as camps were about to begin, as we headed toward the summer, I got a call from a guy named Jerry Callahan. He worked on Wall Street for Lehman Brothers, now, now defunct, uh, a, the epiphany of, uh, epitome of corporate greed, as they might say. And uh, here he was. I'm thinking he probably wants to register his son. He works in the World Trade Center. And he's like, tell me all about this camp. I saw the brochure, Hoops for Him, on the bulletin board of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Tim, Tuck, Tim Keller's church, as you might know. And so I began to share with him, explain to him, and he interrupts me at some point and says, do you ever have kids who can't afford to attend? And I'm on the other end of the phone saying, you too? Even, even Wall Street? It's like, there's just no, are there stocks down? Like, what's happening? And I said, we don't turn any kids away for lack of funds. How much? And he, he stops me and goes, oh, how, how, how about if I sponsor 20 kids at full price? Would that help? And I said, yes. <laughs> that would help. He goes, you probably think I'm crazy. Some guy calling you and out of the blue offering you money. I said, yes. But not being a complete fool, I said, but we really could use your money. Still suspicious that this might be a friend from college. Like, I don't know who this is. But three days later, a check showed up for $6,000. And this began a relationship with Jerry Callahan, a guy in the middle of Wall Street, against the current, against the mantra that governs Wall Street, that greed is good. If you remember Oliver Stone's movie, Wall Street, and Michael Douglas playing Gordon Gecko, saying, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. It's right, it clarifies. It's the upward surge of mankind, always has been. And in a way, he's right in terms of accumulation, if this is all there is, but um, somehow in the midst of that, atmosphere, he was able to stand against the current of culture and live for what truly mattered and see what was of eternal worth. Jerry wasn't rich because of his bank account. He was rich because his bank account never owned him. Jesus talked a lot about money, believe it or not. Not because he was greedy. I mean, he's God in the flesh who put this whole thing together owns everything, the cattle in a thousand hills, but he knew how it could rival our hearts. And he's been speaking to his disciples, but drawing a large crowd, probably similar to what's here, maybe two or three times the size of the crowd that's here today. They're pressing in on all sides. So he's talking to his disciples. He's trying to teach them about the kingdom, which is kind of upside down from the way the world system operates, the kingdom of the world. But he's speaking loud enough so everyone can hear. And on a variety of topics, including hypocrisy, the Pharisees who tithed their 10% did all the right things outwardly, but described as cups clean on the outside, empty on the inside. Because Jesus was always concerned with winning our hearts, that it was about relationship and the overflow, as Doug said, of the grace of God that pours into our, our life. 
And so here as he's speaking and a crowd is forming and he's addressing his disciples, he's not talking to the corporate rich. He's not talking to just rich people or people from a certain industries. He's addressing his disciples who already left everything to follow him. Like, what more do you want? And so if anybody here thinks they're exempt from this topic, of, of money and greed and how it can cut in and rob and steal and be a thief in our life. I, I don't think any of us are because it's that powerful of a force, rich or poor, whatever your job, it seeps into ministries, it seeps into churches, it can seep into anywhere. And Jesus says, I want you to beware, not just beware, but be on guard. And when a young man interrupts him, imagine interrupting him as he's talking on another subject, to settle a family squabble about money. He doesn't take the bait and enter into that because that would be interesting. But instead he uses it as a teaching moment to talk about something much more, um, much greater, much more powerful and how greed can end up robbing us of what is best in life, what living rich toward God or what truly matters. So. Our text today begins in chapter 12 of Luke. We're going to read, it's a short passage, verses 13 through 21, and see what Jesus has to say on this subject. We read beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, everyone, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. How do we become rich toward God? Jesus is saying here that greed clearly is not good. Greed can be defined as the insatiable desire to have more. Insatiable meaning you can't get enough. It's like a bucket with a hole. Greed in all its various forms stifles our ability to be rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? To be rich toward God simply means to spend your life on what he values. This encompasses more than money, clearly. But money may be the clearest, most honest test of what we value. And therefore, nothing makes us more uncomfortable than the subject of money. Where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So if being rich toward God means spending your life on what he values, the question becomes, what does God value? Well, in a word, people. More specifically, family. Jesus revealed that God is a good father, interested in gathering 
together all his children under one roof within his kingdom. His mission, to restore all people to himself. This is what God cares about. So much so, he laid down his life to make it possible for all to have a seat at his table within his kingdom. And we as his children are God's ambassadors, citizens of heaven, with an earthly assignment to gather for the kingdom of God. That's your why. But because you and I live in this real time, real world, physical existence, a world driven by greed, we can easily find ourselves caught up in the current of what the world values. And if we're not careful, we end up spending our lives and resources on what won't remain, what won't last. Jesus calls this both sad and foolish, a missed opportunity to store up wealth in the place you will spend eternity. No one would invest that way. For this reason, Jesus warns us that greed is always ready for an opening to compete for our heart's affection, always masquerading to us as the good life. Please know God is not concerned about greed because he needs your money or mine. Neither is that the point of my message today to elicit a guilty response of some kind. God's concern is solely and completely for you that money doesn't own your life and rob you of living for what truly matters and experiencing what he calls abundant life. Our text today reveals three countercultural truths that we must embrace in order to remain free of greed's influence so we can be rich toward God. First, to be rich, to become rich toward God, you must know the source behind your self-worth. You must know, not just about them, but know the source behind your self-worth. Knowing the source behind your worth protects you from this form of greed we know as covetousness, which is always a comparison kind of greed, where it, it suggests the value, your value is relative to what others possess, always in comparison. It manifests itself in frustration. Why? Because there's always somebody with more. So whatever you esteem, you're going to find in comparison that it's there. Now, greed can go beyond money, but this is our context today, and it's a powerful force within our culture. Look at verses 13 through 15 again. He says, teacher. Now, that's a good start. He's respectful. Teacher. But then he says, tell my brother. This, he is filled with frustration, so consumed, he interrupts Jesus when he's on another topic. And then he doesn't say, hey, could you settle a question we have? It's tell my brother, fix my brother. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. In Jewish culture, the older brother would have received double the inheritance. It wasn't that he wasn't taken care of and had plenty. There was never a problem until somebody had more. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't get past this. And it consumed his life. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not the judge between you. He's looking past all that to the heart because he sees what's happening. He sees that he is becoming consumed with the belief, the lie, that somehow his worth is tied to what he possesses. Does that sound like anything that you're familiar with today in our world? The cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the things we possess, the zip codes we live in, all of those things start to seep in and to convince us. And when, when we lose sight of the source of our worth, the creator 
of, of this whole thing, who is king, but also your father, we, we lose sight and we have to fill, something's got to fill that gap. And this young man, Jesus sees right through and cuts to the chase. And it can happen to anyone because it is a powerful reality that we live in. When I was working at Nyack back in the, in the 90s, as I mentioned, as the 90s progressed toward the end of my coaching years, now this is a decade of camps we ran, but toward the end there was so much blessing and success. I didn't have much, my salary wasn't much, I didn't make money off these camps, but we got players that came because of the generosity of coaches that knew what we were doing. There was favor. Scriptures say a good name is better than money. And I had built up social capital, not knowing it, but it was just there. It came because there's a certain even human blessing that comes when you live that way. And I was rich, but I kept feeling increasingly frustrated because I felt like everybody else was doing better, making more. I struggled sometimes to make ends meet. I heard what other coaches made how much they made on camps, tens of thousands of dollars. And I had that one guy in the office that kept saying, they owe you more. You're the best. You know, that flattering type friend that's like, yeah, I, I am the best. You know, <laughs> I should get paid more. And, oh, and, and Proverbs says that a greedy person stirs up strife. You got to be careful who you're listening to when they're harboring the values that don't belong to the kingdom of God. And I became discontent. If I could go back and I look back, I'd say, man, was I rich. The wealth of memories and fruit in my life in those years are still following me to this day. You've seen some of the evidence in different times when I've spoken here. And it's just a glimpse. And yet, as I moved from coaching, it was sort of a catalyst to I need to get on top of my life. And I went into business. Now, if you're in business, please don't change professions because of this message. God probably has you placed right where you need to be. We have people that are excellent and brilliant in finance and all different sectors of life and we need to saturate the world. But for me, I began to feel like I deserved more. Not because I wasn't blessed, but because around me, I started to believe the cultural lie. Why did that happen? Because I got so busy, I stopped meditating and receiving the truth about myself and understanding where my value came from. And I began to believe cultural lies, which is sponsored by the enemy himself, to get us to think in terms, in these worldly terms, and it's, and it's everywhere. And it began to frustrate me. Greed can be powerful that way. It's kind of like the undertow at the beach, if you've ever been in the ocean, and you've been out there, and you didn't realize it was pulling you further away, but you didn't realize it till you look back. And if you're not a strong swimmer like me, that can create some panic. And you start desperately trying to get back in before you, know, you become one of those people. You might survive, but you have to go through the embarrassment of being rescued. And cultural undertow in, this, in our culture is greed. It's so pervasive. It's everywhere. We don't even recognize it anymore. It seeps into so many things, even a church where, or in our, in our minds, we sort of create a hybrid kingdom of the world, one that kind of suits both. And Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. There is no meshing of the two. It's become so normalized. None of us are immune to its effects. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your lives free, free 
from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I can testify to that truth in those years when I didn't have much. I had more than I needed. I was blessed. I had a home. I had so many just tangible blessings and the joy of seeing lives transformed. My son thought we lived in a kingdom itself because we had the whole campus. The whole campus was his. He thought the gym, I owned it. And when, and when he got older, he said to me, you know, he's starting to understand how things work. He thought I was like the president. I ran everything. And he goes, one day he just looks at me at the dinner table. You're not the president. I was like, I never said I was. He says, you're just a coach. You just stay down at the gym. I said, okay, your kids will humble you. Jesus made the ultimate value statement about you, and you need to know this, and money has nothing to do with that value proposition. If value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it, consider what God paid to be in relationship with you. He didn't pay with silver and gold. That would have been too easy. And it wouldn't have been enough. Your value is beyond silver and gold you could only be bought with the blood of the king of kings who laid down his life. He became poor so you could become rich. You are the treasure of the king. And as you feed on this truth, because this world's pool is, is harsh, it's strong. We get dusty. We need to wash ourselves with the word. That's why PRS, public reading of scripture, and just your own reading and worship and gathering together constantly as the early church did is the only way we survive the tide of these worldly influences so we can live rich in all that matters. And when you begin to truly relish that you are the treasure of God, he will become so precious to you. You will be like Teflon to everything that the world values, including this pull of greed. When God becomes your treasure, you're on your way to becoming rich toward God, toward everything that matters. Secondly, to become rich toward God, you must place your security in the hands of the owner. Trusting your financial security to the care of the owner protects you from the lie that you control your future. We actually think we control our future. All the commercials tell us we should. I get depressed sometimes when I watch TV. Like, I need that. Oh, I should have that. The only security that we have in this fragile life that we live is God and living under the, the everlasting arms of his goodness and his grace. This is a subtle form of greed that manifests itself in constant worry and often leads us to the prison of self-preoccupation and isolation even. Look at verses 16 through 19 here. It's almost comical and this is Jesus telling a masterful story. This is just a story. He's making a point. And you'll, you'll see how he's trying to emphasize something here when you pay attention to these verses. When he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store, I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see anything unusual about those verses? This is a picture of preoccupation. He refers to himself 11 times. 
In storytelling in first century Palestine, this would have been the sign of a crazy person. Well, Jesus is trying to say, that's how crazy it is to spend all your time and energy and resources storing up for a place you're never going to remain and for things you cannot keep when there is an alternative that lasts forever. There's a certain kind of monkey in South Africa called the ring-tailed monkey. I know this sounds a little sad, but it does make the point, so bear with me. But to capture these monkeys, because they're very agile and they're hard to track, hunters to catch them, they know what this, the ring-tailed monkey wants. They want these melon seeds above everything else, and so they'll do anything for these seeds. So they make a hole in a melon while it's on the vine, big enough so the monkey's hand can go in, and it will grab as many seeds as it can with a big fist, but now his fist, his hand is too big, and it can't pull its hand out of the melon. But instead of letting go, it holds on and actually gives up its life for these seeds, which he can't even eat. We're not that much different. There may be people, some of us here today, that maybe, maybe all of us to some degree, that just need to let go and finally place your security in the one who holds everything together. When I was visiting Jerry Callahan for the second time, I made a bigger ask. I, I went to him and I said, uh, I made a big proposal. It was for $35,000. And uh, he knew I was coming, so it wasn't like a shock. I wasn't trying to just gouge the poor guy. Uh, but he had shown interest, and I've gotten to know him a little bit. And so I went in, I worked hard on this proposal. I got coached up by the fundraising professionals, so much so I didn't even sound like myself anymore. You know what that's like when you get overcoached. And, you know, so I'm kind of conflicted. I get to his office at the World Trade Center. I hand him the proposal. I'm, I'm in my pitch, and he looks at it. He looks at the cover and flips through it in less than five seconds, throws it on the floor, and he says, Dan, just interrupts me. Just, just give me the gist of what it is you want, what you're looking for here. And I took a deep breath, took off my sales hat, and I just said, Jerry, this is what your money has done so far, and this is what I think we could do if you're willing to invest in this, and I think it's worthwhile. Long story short, he said yes, and he goes, I'm gonna hand you this money. It's $35,000, but I want you to know it's not my money. It never was. I've just been holding it. I'm a stu I've been stewarding it, this money. And now I'm giving it to you to invest. But I want you to know the owner has not changed. I hope you'll invest in what will make an eternal difference. Because I know that's what the owner wants. And I was shocked. I'd never heard anyone speak in such language before. Ever. And I'm a preacher's kid. I just never dawned on me. I always thought I earned it. And I should be a good guy and give Jesus a little bit and be generous now and then, but it's still my choice. It's my stuff. Here is a guy completely free and detached from the love of money. We were never meant to be the owners. We were meant to steward. And a steward considers what the owner values and also is without the pressure of the supply and the pressure of the outcome, but just stewards well and leaves the rest that's freedom. If you remember Bill Huang when he spoke up here with uh, Pastor Peter in an interview, and he made this comment, I'm free. I'm free. 
You can have little money and be consumed with money, with the worries of money, because you're still trying to be the owner to try to get by. You can be that way with wealth. I worked with a lot of wealthy people. I didn't meet but maybe one of them that ever lived with any kind of freedom when I was in the jet business. It can rob us of life. We're not that much different than the ring-tailed monkey when it comes to these things. I always felt as an owner when it came to tithing, it was like paying a tax because I was the owner. I was looking for all the loopholes. Well, I gave to Salvation Army on Thursday. I took Billy out for lunch. Well, that doesn't really count. It was my birthday. You know, I, what, but we're always trying to look instead of thinking of it from the generosity of God, that everything is his and we get to share. Think about it. He gives us his resources and we get to invest in something eternal and we get to experience the reward one day. It's unlike anything that this world would say. In fact, they say, you're the fool to believe this. But Jesus says, no, I'm giving you the lens, the 2020 lens from a view from eternity of what truly matters. When you make God your security, you set yourself free. And that's why David, the shepherd boy turned king, was able to write the psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack that's your peace. That's what you're designed to experience. Complete freedom. Needs met. Everything in this life taken. Luke 12, 27 through 31 says this. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They neither labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, who happened to be the richest, maybe, maybe, whoever lived. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? This is a faith walk. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things. Your father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and these things, they'll be given to you as well. You seek God first, you get earth thrown in when you live for this life and everything here and the possessions of this life, you lose both. You lose both. To become rich toward God, you must place your security in the hands of the owner. And lastly, and a little more quickly, to become rich toward God, invest in what will last. When you invest your life in what will last, you guard yourself against wasting money on things that promise satisfaction but cannot deliver. Greed tells us the lie that money will make us truly happy and satisfied, and therefore it promotes selfishness. It's what it does. But hear me, greed, hear this, greed will always leave you at the altar, a jilted lover. It cannot keep its promise. Verse 20 through 21, Jesus continues this parable, says, but God said to him, you fool. Not like, you're a fool, like, what a jerk, or he's angry. He's, it's a sadness. It's like, you're missing it, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus says it's foolish to invest in what you can't, can't keep. People, generosity is the essence of the kingdom of God. The world operates on consumption, accumulation. 
And the kingdom of God operates on giving, which is more blessed to give than to receive, on generosity towards others, on gathering without favoritism and, and loving and sharing with one another. So this, is, this is what the kingdom of God, this is what the early church was all about. I, I gotta apologize to you, and I'm sorry to say this. I really, truly am sorry, but all of you out there, you end up at the end of this thing with the same net worth as me. Zero. We all end up in the same financial category. We're not taking it with us. We all have the same net worth. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But you have been given an inheritance, not just one later, but you've been given eternal life and his name is Jesus. Did you know it's not just something later and that we live in disconnect now that you have eternal life living within you? Your spirit will never die. One day your body will be resurrected, but you live. Whoever has the son has life. That's what's real about you today. And you have this kingdom love that, which is characterized by love living within you, driving you forward. I wish I had time to tell you about all the dividends of those years of running Hoops for Him camps and the gifts that Jerry Callahan gave over a long period of years. I wish I had time, I'd tell you, I'd, I'd need weeks. I hope maybe there will be a book one day. But even if I did all that, I would only be able to share with you what I know in a, just a short little bit. As you get older in life, and I have the vantage point now of a couple decades, and I can look back, and I can connect a lot of the dots. I can see it. I have one person here in the front row that can testify to it, Dave Julian. I wish I could tell you. I would tell you about the hundreds of kids who found Christ over those years. Hundreds. Kids I still meet in the Palisades Mall that are now grown with kids who say thank you. They become ministers and pastors and business people in all walks of life. Many who never dreamed of college because no one in their family ever went to college or wasn't even on their radar by spending their summers up on the Nyack College hillside and interacting with players who were in college that looked just like them, came from where they came from, and all of a sudden they dream a seed was sown. And they're game changers today. I would tell you about Mammy Duno, a fifth generation Muslim from the Ivory Coast who somehow found his way to Nyack College as a student and because of the gift of Jerry Callahan, went with our team to Puerto Rico to spend 10 days running camps over there. And I would tell you on the one day off, we went to a church service, the largest church in Puerto Rico, a televised event. We were introduced on stage, we took our seats and the guest speaker happened to be an African evangelist from the same area. And during a televised event, says, please forgive me, but I need to have, I need to interrupt what I'm talking about to go speak with my African brother. And he went to his row and he talked with him. I don't know what was said, but I do know the next day there was a knock on my hotel door and it was Mammy and he said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm gonna lose everything. I'm losing my family. Please pray. And he went down to the phone to make the call back to the Ivory Coast with the whole team around him. It was a short phone call. I could tell you that. And I could tell you that there was a revival that happened among these guys who were kind of lukewarm, if that, for God. 
And all of a sudden, everything came into focus and everybody saw what the purpose is all about. And there was an alignment that was so unusual, it changed the campus that year. There was something different. And we happened to win a conference championship and go to a national title. But that's a side note. That's not why any of that was important. I would tell you that Mammy today works for the United Nations, travels several countries a year and shares his faith, continues to say thank you via text every Christmas, every holiday, every birthday, and he's a part of a family, both within that team and those guys and also the family of God. I would tell you that story. I would tell you about Dave Julian who's sitting in the front row who, because of those camps, became so overwhelmed to see how God could work through his life that he's given his life to serving kids and coaching. And today he is a missionary to the Bronx. He is a director of fellowship and Christian athletes for the Bronx, training and helping and discipling coaches to know how to get reach into public high schools to share the love of Jesus Christ. He lives off the gifts of other people just to do that. Raising a family of wife and two children, and I've never seen him happier in my life. He's living because he knows today what matters. And yes, we need people to be in the trenches. We need people that can give. We need people in supporting roles in all ways. I would, I would tell you more about Dave if I had time and a, and a hundred other stories. And I would tell you about a campus in New York City that exists today. The four floors that are owned worth over 125 million. Just blocks down the street from where the World Trade Center once stood, where Jerry Callahan's office was. And I would tell you that because of his seed money in the mid-90s to support the president of the college to live there for one year so he could scout out if this would be possible to have a permanent campus and to figure out relationships and partnerships with other Christian organizations, that it was the seed money from that time. And one day in heaven, he will get to see the fruit. Not just the seed money, but the multiplication of God as hundreds, hundreds and thousands of kids will have grown and come through those corridors. I could tell you all those stories, but I would only be sharing what I know today. Heaven, in heaven you will see the stranger you fed, the word you spoke at just the right time that like the rudder of a ship changed the direction of someone's life, the children you taught throughout the corridors of this building right here, and the dividends of the seed money that you've put into things such as the community center, a million dollars, we don't even have a building yet, that one day you'll see those dividends in the form of faces. God cares about people. He cares about gathering. And we have this opportunity to invest in what will make an eternal difference. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, I don't have big gifts. What can my two cents do? my two fish and loaves. And I want you to know that small gift, anointed with the tears of Jesus, has been multiplied. And not only will you see that gift, but you will see the multiplication of that gift. And you will see it in the faces and you will look around and God will look at you and say, great is your reward. You're gonna see them in people, in the family of God. This is our why, this is why we're here. What will the stories be in 2030, in 2040? We'll get to know certain things. What will our vision be? There will be a day, I can tell you this, that the faith we operate in now will be sight. 
Everything on earth, everything we sowed will be visible. And we will worship that we were included because of the grace of God and as his children extend his grace. You want your life to echo for eternity? Be rich toward God today. Father, I just pray that you would seal this word to our hearts. It is so difficult, Lord. We become so numbed. We sometimes fall into a malaise. Lord, I confess I have failed so often, but I thank you for your grace, God. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so the enemy has no ground here. Lord, wherever we are, maybe someone who just feels like they're in such a mess, may they be willing to let you into that mess. May they begin where they are. And even in the small things, Lord, just they would feel your embrace and the excitement and joy because a gift in your hand becomes plentiful. It feeds thousands. Will you help those that maybe feel a little weary? They're hearing what other people say and they're paying attention to those around them and maybe they feel foolish for having spent their lives in sowing and investing in the kingdom of God. Sometimes can't see what it's doing, but Lord, you say don't grow weary in well-doing. I pray, God, that you would infuse each of us here with new motivation. Give us eyes to see, God. Give us eyes to see. May you become so precious, Lord, that everything else falls away. What would it look like if Metro Church truly found you to be supremely precious above all else, placed our security totally in your hands with full abandon, and looked at life in light of eternity, Lord? There's never been a move of your hand without our pockets, Lord, so we don't do it in a way to get you to do something. We pray that you would touch us so deeply that our whole life would be shaped in response to it, including what you blessed us with. Encourage us, bless us. May your kingdom advance through the church of Metro in Inglewood and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If, if you have your uh, bulletin uh, or the app in your phone, want to just run quickly through the next steps. Just in response to what we've heard today. If you've committed your life to Jesus or accepted him for the first time, um, check that box so that we, we will know. We'll know how to support you and care for you and point you in the right direction. And what an adventure you're beginning, if that's the case. This walk of faith won't always be easy, but it will be a life abundant. And we want to support you in that. So please let us know. Secondly, I will consider how I can live more simply this year in 2020 so I can give more generously. Some of you may feel like you can't get water out of a rock. You're tapped. And that might be true. But consider if there's something you can do a little, do less with to give more space. Maybe you're already doing so. Maybe there's something you could do just to create more generosity and sow into what will last. Consider doing that. Consider also praying for the city of Inglewood and how you can invest in the lives of those who live in this community here. This is our Jerusalem. And just as those camps transformed our community and beyond in New York City, poor graduation rates at Inglewood High School, can you imagine what could change, the lives that could change? This is real stuff and, and this is where God has placed us. Don't grow faint-hearted. Be strong in your faith. 
let's continue the course. And if you'd be interested in a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course, if one is offered at Metro, take that, check that off. We just want to see if anybody here just wants to get a little sharper on some of their financial skills or habits, understand a little better. You feel like you know, there's a mess. God's got you, man. He, he understands. He's not turning his back. He'll never leave or forsake you. Start where you are. Make small steps. And if you want to learn more about Metro Church, just check off the box for the Connection Dinner on January 19th at 4 p.m., a chance to meet with Pastor Peter, hear what this church is all about, get to meet him, ask questions, and have a good lunch, and so that you can consider how you can fit in to bless this community of believers. That's what we are.